Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm. Speedrun edition. I am your producer, Ben, alongside your director, Matt, and this is Fourth Times the Charm, the only podcast where every week is a brand new concept, except apparently the last like month or two where we keep doing the same shit over and over again. Fun fact, the end of year is quite a tumultuous time, but we are going to come back uh, full force in the new year. And alongside that, we are going to wrap up our year of 2021 with yet another countdown on this hottiest of pottiests. God, Matt, never say hot pot again. Are it's you review month, baby. Again. Let's keep I I am I am feeling like a top five list on a BuzzFeed article in 2011. All right, well everybody, this is a top five catastrophe because Ooh. we have five top fives heading yeah, into today. We each have two individual top fives. Oh sure, 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 sure. That Matt and I have chosen the subject matter for personally yeah these are personal top five because ben ben and i can't can't get over to get to the point where we actually share all of the same media we can share (laughs) just enough that'd be unhealthy (laughs) it would be like we're married like our like like our my wife and your future wife think we should be polyamorous baby it's the relationship that never happened ship it and uh we are going to wrap it up with each of us having our top five movies of 2021 slash top five movies we watched in 2021 because if i went for ben movies didn't see movies i this saw year. that came out in 2021 red notice with the rock would probably oh, you, you i watched so red notice i uh sort of hate watched it with rebecca and we got about what felt like three quarters of the way through the movie and we're like we just cannot force ourselves to watch the rest of this it's so horrible but the and we checked and we checked the time on it and it was about 40 minutes in to the hour and 40 minute movie so we actually just made it out of act one that's wow. how bad it was it's an hour Truly, and 40 minute movie look i watched the scorpion king and this is most definitely a worse rock movie than that. All right. I like the Scorpion King. Everything up until the you rock. see the rock is t- great. No, that's the Mummy 2. That's the Mummy Returns. That's not the Scorpion oh, King. Oh, yes. Oh, never mind. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I have yeah. also seen the, the Scorpion The Mummy King. Returns is a great rock movie until the rock shows up in the movie. Yeah. He was gone, Matt, from WWFE TV at the time. For like three months. Also, he could be in a five-minute CGI scene. What in the hell? It worked out for him, though, right? I mean, look anyway, at Fast 9. He literally anyway. got Roman Reigns into a blockbuster film that was released exclusively in theaters in 2021. And now and now, now, look what's going to happen to that man's career. Hashtag read and noticed. Let me bring water. So, too bad, Matt. <laughs> so, we are going to get started in a five, a four, a three, two, one. Ooh. 
welcome to your next episode of review roundup this year is the top five of top five and we're bringing you each of our personal top fives that we can't really fit into a whole episode so these are going to be those supplemental topics that ben and i love but we either couldn't convince our friends to be in or we didn't share the same opinions or interests so we're going to break down each of those ben what are you bringing our fans first and specifically our number one fan, Brennan. Our biggest hey there, fan, sweet boy. Brennan, who specifically chose the correct answer yes. in my trivia question last week. The secret characters in WWF Royal Rumble on Dreamcast are, of course, Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon, who you unlock by completing Exhibition Mode or the Royal Rumble Mode. You unlock one of each. Uh, so congrats, Brennan. If you'd like to be our biggest fan... Please use the code Brewsters is an underrated ice cream company and send that to us somehow so that we see it between now and next week's hot potty. It's um, not a hot potty. Hot potties are short form podcasts where both of us aren't together. Do not muddle the terms. <laughs> Fine. Do it's not. It's a regular potty. It's a regular Just, potty. This is a normal potty. This God is a damn big it. boy potty. Yeah. Big boy potty. We have hot potties and big boy potties. Yeah. And on this big boy potty, I'm going to be throwing into the hat alongside my top ten. That'll be my top five. That'll be wrapping Whoa. up the day on the top movies I've seen in 2021. I'm also going to be taking a look at the top five video games I played in 2021, and also the top five wrestling action figures of 2021 so that's the only one i'm going to be looking at today that's 2021 exclusive the rest of them are just games or movies that i experienced for the first time in 2021 matt what you got on deck so i i on the other hand um am am a lover of new media so uh stuff that's coming out i'm a lover of you fresh thank you i love you too um so i'm gonna be giving you my top films of 2021 most of these were uh, all films I saw in theaters, except for one of them, and uh, let that tease get you. I'll also be talking about my top books of 2021, a few of which I discussed in my hot potty on the uh, genre of lit RPG, but I don't mind repeating myself. I'll also be telling you about my top five concerts of the year, and only one of them I've spoken about before. So get ready to get involved. Ben. Start us out with your top five. All right. First top five I'm going to be tackling here. Top five video games I played in 2021. Okay, I'm not ready to disagree. In 2021. And some of these were not released even close to 2021. Oh, top no. of my list, number five. Or I guess the bottom. Yeah, it's the bottom. List. Yeah. The loseringest winning game is It Takes Two. Oh, yeah. Released, I think, this past February, actually. So, this is a 2021 game. Yes, it is. It Takes Two is a very fun, uh, asymmetric two player multiplayer game. It's a great couples game. It's specifically designed to be a couples game. Yeah, it's specifically designed to be a couples game. My fiance and I have been looking for a lot of games like this. And uh, Jose Faris, I believe, is his name. Mm -hmm. And his gaming company has been focusing on asymmetric multiplayer games for couch co-op which is a very underutilized space right now 
Agreed. And uh, especially narrative ones. So I got to say the story in It Takes Two, extremely basic about a couple being forced to uh, confront their issues and develop a stronger relationship because of it. Uh, it's definitely a master of none type game, yeah. but the gameplay they do introduce is really good. 3D platforming in every single level you're given some sort of new ability, whether that's weird jumping mechanics, whether that's a gun you're given. It's constantly changing, so you're never bored. The story itself is it's pretty sappy, and the human animations are pretty creepy, and the... Uh, storytelling is really not quite enough to get you through but the book of love character is one of my favorite video game characters uh since handsome jack and borderlands wow. 2 that is that is yeah. incredible. He, he, he's he's so absurdly creepy that he is uh quite captivating to me so props to it takes two definitely a strong like eight eight and a half out of ten game fantastic um, okay but but just the fact that it's accomplishing that in, mm-hmm. in a very underserviced market i i'm a i'm a big fan of so yeah check I got that, that out i currently have that game in my steam library ready to be played uh, i'm gonna arbitrarily throw in my number five video game of the year which is a 2021 release which is humankind which is the game that was supposed to be a civ killer and is just another civ game but it's good a lot of fun I, I, I'm keeping I, it short and sweet. Yeah, I, I don't mind strategy games, but um, I prefer not. Yeah. So number four, uh, we're going to move into the RPG territory. In this uh, strategy released, game. So this game originally released in October 1997 on the oh. PlayStation, <laughs> but received its worldwide release in August of last year, and that is Moon RPG Adventure for the Nintendo Switch. This is, uh, Matt, have you ever played Undertale? I've heard of it. Okay, Undertale is, in a sense, sort of an anti-RPG that in many ways rewards you for not playing it like a traditional RPG. Moon RPG Adventure, which was released for the Nintendo Switch um, in 2020, last year, is essential. It, it labels itself as an anti-RPG Oh God! Yeah, it's a actual predecessor and served as the inspiration for Undertale, which is a very popular video game nowadays. Every weeb at the college we went to played it. Yeah, what Moon opens with is a kid playing a video game where you are the hero and you you know go into people's houses, smash pots, kill an enemy. He ends up falling asleep and being sucked into the video game where the hero of the video game he's been playing is a monster who breaks into people's houses, destroys their pots, kills their dogs, and pretends that they're monsters, and is a genuinely horrible being. So what you do is you essentially follow behind him as you walk through the land. There's no fighting or killing and instead, what you do is you revive all of the characters that the quote-unquote main character killed. And you That's essentially... Fascinating. Add, yeah, and you add more love to the world. Um, it It's another game that's constantly keeping you guessing. Really wild, wacky art style. 
Mm. It's honestly more of a puzzle RPG, and I really appreciate the mechanics. The movement in the game is a bit slow, so you do have to be in the right mindset for it. But if you're looking for a game to just sort of relax and unwind to, then you should look at Moon RPG Adventure, one of the most unique RPGs I have ever played in my life. Well worth a look, and I think it's already becoming forgotten again after releasing last year so we'll have to do a whole episode on that i'll have to play it and we need to talk about it because that is one of the most fascinating things i've heard it's Um, it's not it's not the longest uh game either it clocks in at maybe 12 hours which for an rpg especially on the playstation is very good yeah i'll I'll throw out i'll throw out uh, a different type of rpg as well as my number four pick which is i've talked about this before the veil shadow of the crown the um audio based rpg um, one of the most beautifully told stories I've heard in a game. It's only like 10 or 11 hours long. And that really depends on how much time you want to spend playing with it. But it's won a ton of awards throughout this year. Um, and for a similar brand new experience, that's another game I recommend. Though I think Ben's pick sounds much more interesting. All right. Number three, this is going to be my controversial pick. Oh, shit. I picked Polar Rescue. The fuck? It's a video game for the Vectrix from the oh, 1980s. You fucking nerd. So I have a Vectrix, one of the most underrated game systems of all time. Potentially the most underrated game system of all time. Because no one talks about it. No one cares about it. It's a beautiful video game system. And what's special about it, it's the only video game home console ever released that has vector-based graphics. So what that okay. means is instead of drawing shapes on the screen with shapes or with uh, i don't know if 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 bits is the right word uh or or polygons or sprites or any of that everything is drawn on screen with lines and so what that means is that the downside is you don't get any color the bright side is that the vectrix delivers fantastic sense of depth which okay. in a game like Hyper Chase on the Vectrix, which is one of my favorites, it's like a modified pole position. You see trees Ooh. in the background and mountains that are scrolling past you, and the sense of depth is truly unbelievable. And it's a feeling that I don't think's been replicated except for maybe some 3D games on the 3DS. It's a very okay. special feeling. What Polar Rescue does... It's a submarine game, and essentially what you have to do is you have to go from point A to point B to rescue someone in your submarine, and you get extract and you extract them back to home base. So you just got to get there. Along the okay. way, there are enemy subs that show up on your radar, and then you can fire missiles at them, and you only have X what number of missiles. Fuck? That's so cool. It's in first person. And what's really special about it is that because you only have lines okay. to draw anything, the rest of your view is blackness. So you are oh. a submarine in complete darkness with a radar that shows if something's coming by, the scant mine that you have to go past, and then enemy subs that you have to be on the lookout for. And essentially, you have to fire at them blindly before they hit you. It's a very nerve-wracking game. It's a very Subnautica-esque yeah, game. Yeah, I was going to say. Like 40 years before Subnautica came out. 
That is outstanding. It's, it, it's one of the most captivating and interesting games from the early 80s, from that arcade era that mm-hmm. I've played. It's extremely unique, and it's a relatively hard-to-find game from the Vectrix library. I got it on a deal from a guy, but it uh, that's how you know I'm a collector, is I have to state that I got a deal on it. Jeez. But if it's you my do favorite have a part chance of the podcast. to play on the Vectrix, I'd recommend you play Hyper Chase, Great Sense of Depth. I'd also recommend you play Polar Rescue, because it's probably the best ambiance i don't think they did on purpose but i still think it's the best ambiance that has been established in a game from from that era with Mm -hmm. such a little behind it if that makes sense yeah they didn't have to they didn't have to overexert themselves to make the game worth playing pre-nes that's pre pretty much anything with any semblance of story so if you ever get a chance check out polar rescue i believe there's a vectrix app on oh. the iPhone, where you can probably play it, um, it's it'll probably cost you like ninety nine cents or something. I don't think I the experience so. is going to be the same, but it, it would still give you an idea of it. So, number three, That's... Polar Rescue on Vectrix. If I, if I had to pick a number three game of the year, that would be my like, what I would describe as what you describe as like your unique pick of the year. Um, mine would be the game Mini Motorways. Which is a great little puzzle game all about building highways um, through a town. So it's all about management and space. Uh, It's a nerdy, very weird, unique little game. It feels more like a, you know, it's like the definition of like an indie game that just is so simple. It's perfect. You and I, Matt, do not have the same interests in video games. Not at all. Hey, the, the, the best game I've played in the last like, I don't know, I'd probably say 10 years was a game all up that, that required you to wait for 35 minutes or an hour or two weeks to do anything in it. So, Yep. So, it was, what, what was it called? The Longing. The Longing, I think, is one of the one of the best games made in the last maybe decade because it truly used a mechanic in a unique fashion that no other game had used in that way, which was the use of time as a storytelling element. Um, and as an actual mechanic of the way you played the game. Um, and I think very few games have ever actually captured temporal um, storytelling as a tool, quite like um, The Longing did. Interesting. Yeah, one of the be- well, coolest games ever made. I tell you another one that definitely didn't. It's my number two pick, which oh. is Divinity Original Sin 2. Boo! Yeah you, yeah, you played Divinity with Nick and you didn't like it, right? Yeah, I, I did not have a good time with Divinity. It felt like I was playing like a shitty game of Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, why do I need this in my life? So the issue with Divinity, the series, in 2 and especially 1, 2 isn't nearly mm-hmm. as bad, is that you have to start out essentially by asking a guide, hey, how should I set up my character? And then once you set that up, it's better. But it's a very unforgiving game. Although I would say mm-hmm. Divinity is the closest thing to taking Dungeons and Dragons and directly like making it into a video game. There's so many options afforded to you. Very deep uh, yeah. uh, character dialogues. You really get a feel for the characters. And it's definitely a world-encompassing journey you go on. 
you do not have random battles. There are a fixed number of characters on the map and a fixed amount of experience you can get, which is a brave choice, but really works out well in their favor. You have to think about every battle you go into and you have to prepare and strategize or else you're going to get murked. It's a lot of fun. It's especially fun when you play in two player, unless apparently you're playing with Nick. Um, Yeah. Call him out. I've been playing this with Rebecca for probably six months now and we're still not bored of it. So genuinely shocked. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, um, but you do need to have patience going into it. It is well worth the reward, but especially the first time you're playing it, it you really want to bounce off of it. Th- this yeah. is the you got to get through season one of video games. Yeah, and when it, when it comes to a game, the game that's very difficult for me to justify, but I also play competitive multiplayer games online, which that's the definition of. Which is like, oh, yeah. you haven't been playing this game since 2004? Why are you here? Right, right, right. I'm going to quickly wrap this one up with my number one game I played Ooh. in 2021. And that is Luigi's Mansion 3 on Nintendo Switch. Wait, is that is that a brand new game? I, I think it came out last year, the year before. Okay. Actually, I, I, I remember I went to the booth for it at E3 2019. Which oh, was wow. a lot of fun because they set up the whole inside as if it was uh, you were inside the mansion, and they gave you little Luigi's Mansion flashlights so you could that's pretty see sweet. your way around. Yeah, yeah. I really hope E three comes back in some capacity in twenty twenty two because I really miss it. And everyone who's been complaining about E three can suck a fat one because. The gaming yeah. world is better for it, so yeah. piss off. The industry needs it, and, it, and the fact that you disagree means that you're just upset. You probably weren't even invited to E3 in the first place. <laughs> so No, no, none of y'all were, but I was. I was invited for 2020 also before fucking the bleep word happened. Uh, but no, Luigi's yeah. Mansion 3 is a very special game. I also played in two-player with my fiance. Very fun game. Always keeps things fresh. I, I feel like it did a great job of keeping the Luigi's Mansion mm-hmm. concept still fresh from the prior two games by just going even zanier with it. Yes. And I think that the big victory from it is the cutscenes, which oh. sounds weird, but I feel like they presented Luigi and all of the characters in the Mario universe in a way not unlike Disney where they're able to communicate so much just through their stupid, like, oh, ah, Mario, ADD. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like the droids in Star Wars, where you can, you can listen to them have a conversation. Yeah. And you don't need you don't need to know you don't you're not gonna know what they're saying, and it doesn't matter. It's such a cute, adorable game, and I really feel like. It's a game that like 10 years from now, people will look back on and be like, oh, wow, that was a real game changer for how Nintendo presented their characters. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. But I, I think Luigi's Mansion 3 is maybe probably the best in the Luigi's Mansion series. And if, you do have, and if you do have anyone or even like a kid who struggles with games a bit that you want to play with them on, like Luigi's Mansion 3 super good choice and that is going to close out the top five games i played in 2021 and good gravy that took longer than i was expecting oh this podcast is going to be as brisk as our last episode 
I better fucking hope not because we're shutting this shit down. <laughs> well, we're on to a subject matter that I definitely can't talk in more depth than Ben just did about video games. We're going to my top five books of the year. Woo! Now, as Ben knows, I listen to a lot of audiobooks because literature is the greatest escape that exists. Cupping, and don't worry, culture. I have three honorable mentions. We're going to we're going to brave through those real quick. We got Glory to the Brave by Luke Jimilenko, which was a fantastic continuation of the uh Ascend Online series. We got Irrelevant Jack 4 by Prax Vector, Venter, um a continuation on the Irrelevant Jack series on audio. I know the books are much farther ahead on Royal Road and other online sources, but I listen to audiobooks. Um, he Who Fights Monsters by Sh- uh, um is another great series, but the most recent book just came out and I haven't read it yet, so I don't want to put it on my list, even though I've read books of his that came out this year. On to my actual top five, and before I get to it, Ben, I have a question for you. Yep. Did you read a single book in 2021 that wasn't a manual. I did. What'd you read? I don't fucking remember, but I read it. Awesome. My number five book of the year is God's Eye Awakening, a lit RPG adventure by Alaron Kong. Um, this book took a very interesting perspective that I saw many people then asking if books like it existed and then getting directed to it, which is the main character is... Uh, taken into a magical world where he is a he is a new god that needs to generate worship and power in order to uh, proliferate his godhood and so as a mechanic of progression it's actually about building a following and making those underneath him uh, want to follow his belief in his you know personage um, it sounds like a book that Ben would be gridden. Um, we have a no- <laughs> <laughs> my number four pick because I feel like Ben's not going to have much to say about these and work uh, you, you know, one I'm, time. Yeah, yeah. Number four is Bloodline by Will Wright, which is I think book nine in Will his. Wright? Like, Will Wright. Like the Sim. Oh, I thought it was like the Sim City guy. No, nope, I was like, you I can wish. relate to that. Don't worry, you'll relate to none of these. <laughs> Bloodline by Will Wright is a fantastic text, um, continuing the Cradle series, which is probably the best modern example of progression fantasy. Uh, I spoke about it in our and uh, my hot potty uh, version of the first episode of Welcome to, where I introduced all of you to lit RPG. Go check it out, and I'll talk a little. Bit, I talk a little bit more about most of these books there. Um, number three, and my only non-lit RPG adjacent or direct pick which is Battleground by Jim Butcher. It's a continuation of the Dresden Files series and one of the uh, first books in the final big epoch that the series is going to go through. Um, Truly a tremendously powerful book, beautifully written, um, outstandingly epic action, and a really well-done continuation of the series. Um, It's functionally half a book because... The publisher didn't want him to release a massive tome uh, with Peace Talks and Battleground. So they split them up. So you really need to read them back to back to get the full narrative uh, delivered to you. But it is 100% worth it. Uh, Ben, have you ever read The Dresden Files? No, but I know of it. Oh, hey. What what we and you are going to have to do, Ben, is watch the single season that exists 
of the Dresden Files TV show, um, which is one of the cringiest and funniest adaptations of a book I've ever seen. We should do a book club and then watch the season. I agree. Book club. Ben, read more books. All right. Uh, the first, the first, if you get through the read. first, you, audiobooks exist because I can't read either. I have dyslexia. Number two, a book that Ben will never read, but I recommend any of you who want to get into lit RPG do uh, Dungeon Crawler Carl a by Matt Dinman, a book that successfully lulled me in with its comedy and, and led me to expect it to continue to be a comedic and kind of fun loving series. Uh, but that really ramped up the seriousness and the actual discussion of the world around it and what I thought was going to be an immature way, but actually resolved into a more mature analysis and perspective of the world around the character. Well, now, why Ben, is, I, why, why is this the one you say I will never read? That sounds fascinating. It's a little too lit RPG for you. What, what I, does that even mean? It, it's crunchy with a lot of stats and the aspects of the world being a game are pretty upfront. Um, and it's full of pop culture references. Okay, yeah, you're right. That does sound terrible. Never mind. It's a really well-written book. If you're a fan of the genre, it's like the hot off the new presses text. Um, don't let Ben's sourpussness take you away. Um, check out Dungeon Crawler Crawler by Matt Dinneman. He's genuinely a good writer. And the series does delve into darker and more adult and not necessarily adult themes, but more mature themes. As the series goes on and in their perspective of how the world around them works. Um, as uh, Carl would say, you will not break me. I will fucking break you all. Um, and my number one pick and that, the book. That's a cool catchphrase. It's that's fucking cool catchphrase. sweet. Damn it, Donut. Um, number one, my pick of the year. Arguably the best book written in the progression fantasy lit RPG adjacent genre for probably its existence. Um, one of the most captivating series I read this year, probably the best crescendo moment I've had in a book in a very long time, which is Iron Prince by Luke Chimilenko and Bryce O'Connor. Um, I've spoke about this in my Welcome to episode as well. Shout out to that episode yet again. Um, but this is one of the most captivating pieces of science fiction I've read. It is a delve, delve into a combination of a futuristic world mixed with an academy-based kind of fiction setting that is utterly captivating. The action and the weaponry and the uniqueness of each character is on full display throughout the entire book, and I think it stands out in its writing quality. It's simply for its prose. Um, it stands head and toe above almost every book I've listed here, except for Battleground by Jim Butcher, which arguably has the best prose on this list. But I read it super early in the year, so it dropped itself down to number three. Fair enough. Those those all do sound very interesting. I just don't have a great frame of reference for it, like you won't have for my next top five, Matt. Oh, it is the top five wrestling figures of 2021. Which uh, this is very controversial list in many ways. I'm, I'm uh, just I'm, because. There were so many good wrestling figures in 2021. There, there's been a lot of independent wrestling figures that have been made mimicking the old Hasbro style of figures from the 90s. There've been, there's been a revival of the Bendems line. Mm. There's been 
uh, people mimicking the old Popey style of action figures. So just some quick honorable mentions. They've made figures this year of the goon, the mm-hmm. jobber from 1995 WWF. That looks amazing by Mattel, the Zodiac Brutus, the barber beefcakes, one of his many failed gimmicks in WCW. There were some great action figures for the likes of Kushida from uh, Mattel Elite Series 88 or the Elite Bronson Reed from Elite Series 90, the Ultimate Edition Jeff Hardy figure, WWE, with a removable tank top and uh, swappable heads. I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, and also the Ultimate Edition Ric Flair figure which rick flair's canceled now uh which he should have been years ago you you can't but, you can't not mention the uh goldberg one that comes with the blue belt and he looks like he's 50 years older than he is in real life well actually that's essentially a re-release of a previously released figure that was exclusive with a ring but uh um, wow. who, who am i to judge i'm very excited man, oh. because they are coming out with a goldberg in shorts figure which wow. is I, I believe it's the fourth type of attire he's ever worn in his entire wrestling career that and man understands the gimmick immortalized in my goldberg action figure shrine which does exist matt's seen I, it yeah it's it's true it's real and if you don't know that it's going to be there when you walk in the room it is a surprise but what's not it's a surprise is done. Ben's number five pick for best action figures of the year. Yeah, so I'm going to run through these because, you know, there, there's a very uh, niche audience for this. Uh, my number five uh, figure of the year is the Elite 82 John Morrison WWE Mattel action figure. Comes with soft goods jacket extremely detailed likeness of him is great comes with a removable bandana which looks good on him or his head looks fine without it chiseled rippling abs extreme detail on his uh quote-unquote leather uh Mm. tights just really well-designed figure um and arguably the standout from a fantastic series 82 set number four pick we're going to move over to aew their unrivaled series three orange cassidy figure this one gets points docked slightly because his rubber pants mold doesn't allow him to like bend over or sit uh but on the bright side he has a soft goods shirt and jacket which are identical to what he wears in real life he can put his hands in his pockets and he has a signature thumb alongside his shades uh, just a very well-detailed and lovingly put-together figure. Uh, really one of the earliest highlights from the AEW Unrivaled line by Jazzwares. Yeah, uh, it tru- this truly is an unrivaled figure. Yeah, I've, never go, seen, I've never seen an action figure with working pockets. Number three is Chris Jericho. Uh, the wow. Amazon exclusive Chris Jericho from AEW Jazzwares. Amazon exclusive. I actually just got this one in a few weeks ago. They just came out. This is an extremely smart figure. They only reused parts for this, but it has a Jericho figure with two of his signature jackets that he's used over 2020, 2019, 2021. 
Um, it's really a signature look for Jericho since what he does 90% of the time on AEW TV is uh, not shut up. Yeah. So it, it's just a really well done figure. They cut corners in a lot of smart ways, like his pants mold is actually his tights mold, but you can't really tell, so it's okay. I think it just really captures Jericho's likeness well, and I really like all the accessories and options that this figure pack gives him. Uh, moving on to my top two, the only one of these that I don't personally have in my collection is the debut attire Jushin Thunder Liger uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling figure. That looks like a Gundam Storm figure. Collectibles. This is the the Jushin Thunder Liger figure from 2020, which is just a traditional Liger, is my pick for one of the greatest wrestling figures of all time. It's wow. just so immaculate and detailed. This is Liger's look from his very first match ever. And so it's a very strange look at him but everything is original tooling um just insane levels of detail he's slightly larger scale than like mattel or jazz or his figures which is a bit of a bummer but not too much uh they have a like soft rubbery lower torso which allows increased flexibility and i gotta say matt the the price on this figure was was a lot more than thirty six ninety nine when I first saw it and when it first came out. I've, I'm going to have to talk myself out of buying this one because it's a gorgeous figure. Yeah, that is stunning. If you if you don't buy it for yourself, I'll buy it for you for Christmas. I mean, I mean, I will take you up on that, Matt. All right, um, we'll see about that. Well, the the best the best figure on Ringside Collectibles is the is the uh, unrivaled I think six collection Jake Hager. Because when he has his hood on in the in the promotional photo, he looks like a gaunt dead person. Yeah, that's actually a really shitty. It's figure. a it's fucking terrifying. It's it's pretty brutal. Yeah, that's arguably the worst one they've come out with so that's far. That's my number one figure of the year. <laughs> my my favorite AEW figure they've done so far is the Cody Rhodes one of five hundred chase where he's wearing oh, wow. a Star Trek shirt. I I'm sure I told you about this one, man. But like, there was hysteria when it came out because on ringside collectibles they put up a few for sale and it was a flipping madhouse to get did you them. did you get one yeah i got one and now they're worth like at least fifteen hundred dollars online oh, for man. just one yeah get it so yeah uh number one my top figure of the year is also one of my favorite wrestlers of the year tomohiro ishii from new japan pro wrestling super seven Series 1, it's a really basic figure, but Tomohiro Ishii is a really basic guy. He comes okay. with like six pairs of hands. He has a cloth goods shirt that you can actually take off the figure. It doesn't have like a it doesn't have like a what you call it, like a patch up the back for you to just like take it off. Like yeah, it actually, actually looks You actually have to put it on him like a real person. That's awesome. The extremely detailed figure, great poseability incredible likeness of him mm -hmm. uh yeah the just, face is right on yeah it just i i just really like tomohiro ishii and i could not have really asked for a better figure just captured the stockiness of him perfectly super happy to have this looks uh, really good with the shirt on it of ishii yeah it's just an incredible figure i don't think you could get better than that 
And in terms of like a basic black tights wrestler, like, like this is main event worthy stuff. So Tomohiro Ishii, congratulations, best figure 2021. Fantastic. And to follow up our top five action figures of the year, we are going to hit, we're going to be hit Woo! with the top five Chicago area concerts and events Woo! of the year. Yeah! Um, my honorable mention is the music box of horrors by the music box theater. Cause it's kind of like a less, it's less of an event and a performance than it is kind of just an experience. So I highly recommend that, but my number five pick and one that I am, I am sure Ben can have a lot to say about, and we've already talked about it quite a few times was AEW Dynamite on the night that uh, CM Punk returned. Wow! Uh, it was one of the most hype events I've been to of the entire year with some of the most hype people that were at an event in general. For what um, was mostly a AEW dark YouTube show taping. Yep. And the rest of Rampage was kind of shit also. It, it was just... All that set up for one 15-minute monologue, and boy, was it worth it. Yeah, it was one of the great greatest uses of time. It was like seeing Dropkick Murphys live where they opened with shipping off to Boston because they just knew that's what everyone was there for. Hell yeah. Uh, my number four pick is, a, is something I've talked about pretty pretty in-depth, so I won't spend time much time on it. It was Moonrunners Festival at Reggie's which is the yearly folk punk festival and roots and kind of fo- and American folk festival that takes place in Chicago every year. If you're a fan of this genre of music or any of the adjacent genres, I highly recommend you make the trip out to Chicago for it because it is a truly unique, loving, and incredible crowd of people to hang out with. Um, my number three pick of the year is a shout-out to one of the best local Chicago bands. It was my first... Shout-out! Fr- shout-out! It was one of the first concerts I ever went to when I got back, and I did wear a custom bear costume to the show in honor of the wonderful friends I have in this band, Bloodletter. They played at my favorite Chicago venue, Reggie's. Uh, uh, the lead singer of Bloodletter, uh, Pitor, he uh, he officiated the wedding that I had and is one of K-fabe, the best people man. I know. K-fabe. No, K-Fave's dead, man. He's my friend, Fuck. and I love his music uh he, he yeah he is 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 cool genuinely I, I, I a great only, person yeah i i only ever uh talk to him like in group settings with really. me yeah but i i always appreciate that no matter what he's talking about he talks about it with a deep fervent passion yeah there's a reason him and i uh are friends <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um i will say some of the highlights from this show was the fact that i wore a bear costume uh, followed by the fact that everyone was freaking out that I was in a bear costume and kept buying me beer. Um, I had the crowd, the crowd carried me around the event and I realized about 10, 10 seconds into them holding me up, holding me up. None of them realized how heavy I was. Um, the best moment of the night was during their final song. Uh, a friend, our friend Kyle, who you'll be seeing on here next week, um, took a beautiful stunner in the middle of the pit. And it was so beautiful that everyone in the crowd thought he was actually hurt for a second. And then and then everyone said, get the cover. And I dove on him. And three different people dropped to the ground and counted him out one, two, three in the middle of That's the pit. That's awesome. And he sold it. He stayed, like, unconscious until I pinned him. Um, Did he kick out at 3.1, though? No, 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 no. He, he, he wow, took, he, he put you over strong. Yeah, he did. He took that center like a boss and then put me over. 
That's why Kyle's um, a jobber. That's why and he's the best jobber we know. Um, right. Number two is my first concert back um, in a big venue outside of the Blood Letter show. And this was seeing Alasana, one of my favorite bands of all time from my childhood. Uh, if you want a crossover band into the screamo slash kind of post-hardcore genre, um, their album, The Thespian, is one of the most captivating experiences in the genre. And actually, Ben has listened to this entire album with me through. Ben, what did you think of that album? I really liked it. Moving on to my number one concert (laughs) of the year. I'm sorry. It was really good. I don't have any like... Yeah, it's just a follow. It's a great album. Highly recommend. Yeah, no, it was just a great album. Yeah, it didn't leave me with any lasting memories, but you know, I enjoyed it. I see how it is. Well, a concert that left I, me... I, I think we discussed this when I first listened to it. I feel like there's a moment in time to, like, listen to that type of music and get into it. And, and if it's you sort of pass it... called being 14. Yeah. And it's like, I, like, understand its quality, and I enjoy listening to it. And, like, if it was on, I'd be like, yeah, this is great. But, but it's not something that I'm able to develop a connection to at this point. And we're going to actually work on that issue in a future series, but more on that next time. My number one pick of the year for concert or slash event of the year was at a tiny venue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the X-Ray Arcade, where I saw Gate Creeper and Phobophilic, um, two of my favorite modern death metal bands. And I was specifically hyped for the show. And the reason I got my number one pick was because I got to see one of my favorite new death metal bands in the world, Phobophilic. Um, some absolutely fantastic, brutal, and outstandingly creative Canadian death metalers who are producing a sound that is not necessarily truly their own because it is deferential to the old school death metal sound, but they make so much value out of it that it goes beyond compare. And it was their last show on the tour, and I didn't know this. So I was very, very hyped to get to see them. Uh, And a great friend of mine was able to get me tickets to the show because he had extras. So shout out to Matt Josh. Um, You'll never listen to this, but you're the reason I got to go to that show. And it was amazing. Uh, Honorable mention to the other Gate Creeper show I went to a few months after that in Chicago, which was also fantastic. Arguably had a better crowd for Gate Creeper. But the show wasn't as cool because it wasn't with Phobophilic in a tiny venue with a bunch of hardcore kids. Hell yeah. Well, those all sound genuinely fun. Yeah, genuinely um, some of the best times I've had this year. The only thing yeah. that would have ma- made them better would have been if Ben was there. Oh, you sweetie. Especially ah. the music box of horrors. Yeah, my uh, my number one event I went to in person this year was AEW's Double or Nothing in Jacksonville. All right. and, and yeah, and that might be like one of my top events I've ever been to in my life. So Reasonable. And I was there and I was there when Goldberg beat Hogan in the Georgia Dome. I was wow. three years old, but I was there for it. So he was there. He was know. there and he'll tell you about it. Yeah, I, I, I remember like I have like two flashing images in my head of that night. So which are I, the, the only real memory I have was Goldberg beats scott hall like at the beginning of the show and and my dad i think was telling me like all right and he's gonna face hogan for the title in the main event Mm -hmm. and i was like worried and he's like oh don't worry he's goldberg he'll win and and i'm I'm, 
Well, well, and he did, but like I'm guessing he said that because you know they were on the dirt sheets at the time. Oh, okay. But they 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 had the inside business. My parents did have a knack of always seeming to know like when to prep me for a loss. I'd be like, why are they being so weird? And then like my guy would lose. Oh yeah, they knew. They they knew before you knew. They knew, yeah. Which lends Um, itself to your predictive abilities when it comes to wrestling. That's well, you know. this is this is a weird thing. I was playing Zelda Link's Awakening mm-hmm. um, on the Zelda Game & Watch, which is a really fun piece of tech. And I, I realized that that game taught me to have a bad sense of direction. <laughs> okay. Because whenever I play the game, you don't want to go the way it wants you to go because then you miss all the secret rooms right so you always try to go the wrong way in the game because then you get to see everything but because of that i always want to go the way that's not intuitive that explains so much about your character so like it so like when i like give directions i'm always like wait a minute (laughs) Wait, I'm going the wrong way here because I always want to go the wrong way instinctually now. Thanks to Link's Awakening. Thanks, guys. Fuck you, Link's Awakening. We we, got to have an episode on Link's Awakening sometimes. I've fallen back in love with that game, but that's for another day. Let's wrap up today with our top five movies each of us watched in 2021 or 2021 movies. If you want, Matt, we can go five for five do one each yeah do you you have any honorable mentions or can i hit my honorable mentions first hit your honorable mentions matt all right my honorable mentions are um shang chi the legend of the ten rings the best marvel movie of the year generally a good time and felt really unique um one of my favorite movies of the year but was not a movie released this year is my heart can't beat unless you tell it to one of the most captivating and unique displays of the vampire genre in filmmaking. Shout out to the director. Um, and number my third and final shout out, our honorable mention, is Shadow in the Cloud. And that's exclusively because this podcast is officially hashtag Landis Lads. Now, Ben, hit me with that top, with number five. My number five movie is, uh, is uh, from 2016. <laughs> it is Arrival. Which oh wow okay together. yeah i really enjoy this we've been having movie nights off and on throughout 2020 and 2021 so matt's been exposing me to a lot of the movies he really likes my fiance also loves this movie and i love it too which is a very sedate uh, i don't want to say realistic but it f- feels in the current climate realistic way of dealing with um with telepathic aliens who just randomly land on earth it's a real i think sort of feel good alien story and um i i wish we had more sci-fi movies like arrival um yeah i yeah, just really liked arrival the only it's other a very special movie it, it feels it feels very spielberg-esque in a way well it, it's really it's almost a it's not necessarily a remake but it's a spiritual successor to contact which is one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time yeah yeah i can see that all right let's blast through this my number five is free guy by sean levy a uh a video game inspired movie starring ryan reynolds taika watiti um and a bunch of other fantastic actors 
really one of the most fun and innovative ways of incorporating video games into a film. It's not a video game move. It's a video game movie, but not a, mo- a, vid- a movie about a video game. And it and successfully is probably the best video game movie I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, ben, I, I didn't watch that because I read the script for it years ago and it was terrible. But from well, everything it, you've told me, they've completely threw that out the window and just used the idea. Yeah, so Ryan, they I'm let excited. Ryan Reynolds do his thing. Yeah, well, hopefully not like he did it in Red Notice. Because that was a dumpster fire. Um, number four, we're going Pixar route uh, with this year's Luca. Oh, I did not see this. Yeah, it's honestly, it's a movie about two kids learning they're gay. Um, okay. Except because Disney can't say they're gay, they use the term sea monsters. Oh. And like, you don't really get it at first until... You know, they keep beating you over the head with it. These two gay looking kids always Mm -hmm. hanging out together. And it's like, it's like they're sleeping next to each other and then water, which turns them into sea monsters. Oops. It falls on them as they're sleeping next to each other. And someone comes to check up on them and they go, oh no, we got to hide that we're sea monsters oh oh (laughs) let's hide behind the trees so they can't tell and then they dry themselves off and it and you know once it gets to the end and it's like oh my god these two old women who spend all their time together are also sea monsters it's like all right yeah this is a gay thing (laughs) yeah um but like it's really well done it's really well animated it's really cute it's probably not better than arrival but i bumped it up a few spots because it was a movie I actually saw that was from 2021. Mm-hmm. Also a Pixar movie I thought was even better was soul, which came out last year. That movie didn't do it for me. Really? Yeah. I thought I, I, I felt like it just hit me at a really good time. And just okay. like that idea of, of like listlessness and like not knowing what to do with your life and like how they address that in the movie just really vibed well with me. You know, that makes sense. Like it was like, I needed this, you know? So I don't know. I might look back on it later and, and think differently, but from that time I want to ruin it. I'll leave it there. Sometimes the best movies is when you, is a movie you see at the right time. And a movie I saw at the right time was last night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright film. One of the most captivating and beautifully shot movies of the year outside of my number two pick. Um, A movie that really delved itself into the 60s with its aesthetic, its clothing, its music, and its performance. Um, Simultaneously, 100% an Edgar Wright movie and almost invisible um, while still having his directorial flair, tropes, and intricacies laid into it. Um, One of the best mystery kind of horror movies you'll see this year. Um, and truly, truly captivating performances from Thomason McKenzie, Anna Taylor Joy, uh, Matt Smith, and Diana Riggs. Truly, truly something special. Um, big recommendation on that one, especially if you're an Edgar Wright fan. And if you're not, um, this might be the movie that breaks the barrier down for you to get into Edgar Wright movies, despite this being his first foray into horror. Um, yeah, this is that, that, that's the one movie from the fall where I'm like, I really need to see that. So. Yeah. If you can, as soon as it's on streaming, I highly recommend it. Ben, you'd love it. What's that number number three? 
My number three movie is from several years ago, although this director did have uh, her film follow-up to this come out this year. It is Raw. Ooh. Yeah, the the French uh, college coming-of-age cannibal movie. It's about family and realizing who you are and where you belong within your family. That's right. Really unique, captivating movie. It never stops, never lets up. I think it's a lot stronger. Not a lot. I think it is a better movie than Titan, which came out this year and Mm -hmm. coincidentally won the Palme d'Or, which this one didn't. But it just just resonated with me You can tell why, knowing can. This one? Yeah. Um, I liked Raw more, but Titan's also super good. Yeah, Raw's my favorite movie of 2016 captivating and we'll talk about that sequel coming up soon Um, my my number three pick was the best comedy performance of the year uh single-handedly one of the greatest gestalt um distillations of our of the collective unconscious of the american public in the covid19 lockdown which is bo burnham's inside um you'll hear about this when we get to our top albums of the year but i deeply connected with the special i've probably watched it more than any other movie on this list um truly a captivating comedy special slash movie but it's it's more of a uh, of a one-man performance slash film than it is actually a comedy special um truly truly one of the most beautiful things i've seen i i really appreciate bo burnham more than i enjoy listening to or watching his work i I like what he does, but like I, I enjoyed Inside, and I got what he was going for. But but it just never really clicked with me. Mm. I thought it was good, you know, and I could tell that what he was doing was immensely like hard to put together and immensely well done. But it's just his whole vibe just never quite clicked with me. I will say though. Bo Burnham should be the person to write jingles for new Disney rights because he's the jingle meister. If you want to see one of the best coming of age movies of all time, see his directorial debut, Eighth Grade. It is truly one of the best um, films to ever capture the experience of um, young teens and tweens in our modern day um, with a true respect and deference to their perspective of the world. Number two movie I watched this year that didn't come out this year is Climax. Wow. A really good film, Macho. Gaspar Knowles Climax. Yeah, Holy Gaspar shit. Gaspar Knowles Climax. That no came way. out what? Like 20. I think that was also 2016, the same year as Raw. I, I just loved how everything builds and what feels like one shot. It's filmed as if mm-hmm. it's one shot. And you just see this party go absolutely berserk. It really delivers upon the promises it sets from the beginning and yep. like Calvair, fuck you Calvair. Yeah, fuck and, off Calvair. Uh, it it's just a really emotional, heart pounding movie in terms of a movie that's called Climax. I don't think you could ask for anything more climactic. Like it is a complete roller coaster of a movie. Yeah, the fact that the the main title of the movie doesn't hit until like twenty minutes in and right. it hits out of nowhere. It's it's one of the also wh- whatever some of the, the safri- greatest dance sequences yep. I've ever seen in film. Improvised as well. 
A lot of those yeah. dance sequences were improvised and done by the, the performers who were actual dancers and not actors who were just, this is like their only credit, half of these people. Um, yeah. And it's truly, a truly a living credit. experience. Yeah. Gaspar Noé is probably one of the best modern directors and will continue to go down in art house and art school for the rest of his life and our lives. Uh, right, my, number two, my, Matt. my number two movie is the polar opposite to Raw or to Climax. It is Denise Villeneuve's massive sci-fi epic, Dune. Um, one of my favorite, probably my favorite theater experience of the year. Um, wow. One of the most captivating and well done um, sci-fi films in the modern day. Um, it's goth Star Wars and everything in between that you might call it. Um, as someone who loves the story and the world that's built by Frank Herbert in the books, I felt like it did everything well. It it cut corners in the places it needed to. And this could go down as one of the best adaptations of a series that was arguably unadaptable, as you can see in the original David Lynch film. Um, there's very few movies that are as intense as this. It was similar to seeing... Um, oh, the movie just escaped my mind. Um, the Matthew McConaughey space movie, uh, where he goes to space. Do you, did you see oh, this the movie? Oh, where they, the, uh, fuck, which one? Whatever, we forgot it. I guess it yeah. wasn't that good. Me, me and my wife and Wolf I saw of it in Wall th- Street. Yes, Wolf of Wall Street, the sci-fi movie. We saw it in theaters like four times, and this movie is worth that. Um, is it better if you've read the book first or does it not really matter? I, I, if you haven't already read the book, go see the movie. You'll be less annoyed. Okay. Um, I, I highly recommend listening to the Henry Zabrowski, um, last podcast on the left network podcast, uh, Dune deep dive. Uh, it really gives you kind of an off the wall introduction to the series by people who are so into it that they don't really need to tell you everything. It'll kind of just pick it up by osmosis. Um, truly a great companion to a wonderful film. And Ben, right. what's that number one film for of you for the year? The number one movie I watched this year was from, I believe, the 90s, and that is Funny Games. Wow! Yeah. Holy shit. About two drugged-out psychopaths who not only hijack a family's house, they also hijack the movie. It's one of the best uses of fourth wall breaking I've ever seen in mm-hmm. cinema. The only movie uh, that successfully pulls off the commentary of you. The reason this is all happening to these people is because you're watching it. No other yeah. film has ever pulled off that, that it's, note it's, as well as funny games. It's a genuinely disturbing movie in all the right ways. It's just the cinematography is great. The pacing's great. Acting's really good. The writing is some of the best writing in movies. I, I can't really find fault with it. Nope. And it's a movie I'm shocked more people haven't tried to imitate. Uh, but but maybe it's just because they aced it so well. Everyone is afraid of trying to compare it to them. It's and it's so good well the director right, should be. It's so good the director shot for shot remade his own movie, but in English. Yeah, and I doubt it was as good. I haven't seen that one. But like, it's like what a fucking awesome movie just top to bottom like i i don't it's 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 good when you get a movie that really makes you think and funny games really makes you think while delivering pretty much every single sort of emotion that you could get a movie to 
get out of you you know anger fear sadness even some laughs thrown in in a weird bizarre way Uh, i mean it's really hard to talk about any of it without spoiling it but like funny games you gotta watch you just gotta have a stomach for it going in yep and for my for my i I have to highly agree give us the outro our final my final pick of the year is a movie movie ben and i have talked about profusely and that is Titan, or Titan, a movie that, similar to what Ben just said, made me laugh, made me cry, made me cheer, made me made me shake, made me shiver. One of the most captivating films of the year. I think a movie that takes the tone and energy of Raw and mixes it in with the aesthetic and the intensity that is Climax, uh, and distills into one of the best pieces of modern French cinema, and truly, truly. Um, a film that shows the evolution of a director and for the first time for her was the charm the second time was her was the charm for her i hope julia decan new um, has a third time the charm and maybe if she's as lucky as we are ben the fourth time will also be the charm for her good night everybody good morning